probably noticed the last several weeks, we've taken a moment to address the kids in the room, and rather than leaving you in the dark, we thought we might explain why. The reason being is we're inviting kids to be in this service. We want them to have the same access to the Word of God that we have, and that's why we just start with this little moment at the beginning of our sermons. And that's not to say this is the kids' time and the rest is the adult time. It's more so to just say, hey, listen up, and hopefully give a chance to be listening throughout for some key things. So with that, kids, I have to ask you, do you remember this little purple gem? I showed it to you a couple of weeks ago, and I said it was hidden in the woods, like the kingdom of God was hidden from Joseph, who still kept looking for it. What if after hours and hours of searching, you finally found the purple gem. And it was more beautiful and more wonderful than you ever thought. You almost didn't believe how awesome it was. I know I was that way when I first found it so I could share it with you. It felt the same way. What if you found it and were so amazed by it and you finally went to tell your family and friends about this purple gem, but they didn't believe you. That's how Mary Magdalene and the other ladies in this passage felt. They found something amazing, and as soon as they told someone, they didn't believe them. But why? Why did they not believe the ladies who found something so amazing and so precious? Well, you're going to have to listen up to see if you can find the answer to that. In the same vein, I'd ask all of us, in this entire Bible, what is the hardest thing for you to believe? What's the thing that seems most absurd? What leaves you wondering? Is it a story from a long, long time ago, like the crossing of the Red Sea? How in the world did that happen? Or Jesus walking on water? Or him feeding the 5,000? What if, what about Elijah calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel? Or the disciples talking to this crowd of people of different languages all at once? What's the hardest moment in Scripture for you to believe? Two weeks ago, we came across Joseph of Arimathea who was looking for the kingdom of God. Despite what he saw in front of him, the broken and lifeless body of Jesus, he acted in such a way that points to the fact that he was still trusting that the kingdom of God would come. But today we come across something much harder to believe than the fact that Jesus truly died, and it's that he truly came back to life, that he was raised from the dead, that he did what was thought to be impossible. Do you ever find yourself struggling to believe that a real person who was put in a tomb and left to lay there for a Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and early Sunday morning actually got up and walked out of that tomb as a living man? Well, if you have, this passage is for you, not just to tell you that Jesus was raised as a matter of fact, but to help you believe that he was raised. We can actually find relief knowing that we're not the only ones who find the resurrection the hardest thing in all of Scripture to lean on with our full weight and to trust that Jesus really kept his word to rise again. 
If you feel generally sure about the truth of Jesus' resurrection, and you can say to yourself, I I believe that wholeheartedly, then let this passage fortify that confidence. Let the risen Christ change you. Because it's a gift from God that you believe this. Here's what the Spirit through Luke seems to be unfolding in Luke 24. Jesus rising from the dead proves that He is trustworthy and mighty to fulfill His promises to save us. Jesus rising from the dead proves that He is trustworthy and mighty to fulfill His promises to save us. If you will not believe what the Holy Spirit testifies to us here in Luke, then you have no reason to take Jesus at His word. If it's a hoax or a sham, Jesus' words of promise are are as lifeless as His body was. But if you do believe the Holy Spirit's testimony here, if you truly believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and lives even now, you have every guarantee that He can fulfill every one of His promises having taken away power from death itself. Three exhortations come up from this passage and they all call us to faith and to trusting this seemingly absurd moment. Three exhortations. Listen to these angels. Remember Jesus' words and believe these women. Listen to the angels, verses 1 to 6. We pick up the passage right where we left off with Joseph burying Jesus' body. You'll remember that there were women watching Jesus being put in the tomb and they had gone back to prepare spices so they could finalize his proper burial. That's where chapter 23 ends. These women have gone off to observe the Sabbath and they've gone to prepare spices to finish the burial. But they had to wait until the Sabbath was over. Two things I need to make sure that I address from two weeks ago. One, I mentioned that there were three women. It turns out there are at least four and maybe others with them. And two, I hinted at the fact that they might have gone home with an expectancy that Jesus would rise from the dead. I think that this passage tells us otherwise. All that to say, please forgive me for not being diligent on those two things. They might sound like useless details, but I want to not skim over those or leave loose ends, and we all want to be watchful and read our Bibles as carefully as possible. So, the women are making their journey very, very early in the morning, likely still discouraged from a Jesusless weekend. Luke says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking those spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the angels choose to say something. But this is the scene. Here they come ready to finish the job and they might expect to to ask someone to open the tomb for them. But they come up to to a tomb that has already been opened. The stone that was rolled in front of the door had been moved. So they go in and investigate. And to their shock, Jesus is not there. They probably looked all over, but no sign of the body that they watched be placed inside that tomb on Friday was there. It starts to become real when you realize these were the same people who watched this go down, who watched Jesus be enclosed in this tomb, and suddenly he's not there. 
Maybe they made assumptions or kind of like best guesses as to what happened. And these already perplexed ladies don't have much time to recuperate from that before they get a second surprise. Two figures described as men in Luke, but in the other Gospels are proved to be heavenly angels, appear with bright light, such that they are radiant. It was so overwhelming that the ladies were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Lest any of us think that these ladies were somehow frail or if they were just exaggerating, consider the fact that Matthew says that the two Roman guards who stood watch over the tomb trembled and became like dead men when these figures appeared. We don't know how they looked specifically, but all we know is that there was such a glory about them that was terrifying and overwhelming. These were not flying babies. They were messengers of the Holy One. And as such, they presented themselves to announce a miracle of resurrection performed by God Himself. If you look back at all the times that the angels appear in Luke, what do you find? You find Gabriel appearing to Zechariah and telling him that he will have a son named John who will pave the way for the Messiah. Then that same Gabriel appears a second time saying to Mary, I am one who stands in the presence of God. Which is enough to make us think, who else does that? Who else has that spot? I stand before the presence of God, the Holy One, who knows nothing of the stain of sin and who is perfect. And he goes on to tell her that she will have a son, the same Jesus that we're talking about here. Then, later in Luke 2, a whole crowd of angels light up the night sky to announce Jesus' birth to the shepherds. You can tell that they're, they're not just appearing at random. They are marking very important moments in this gospel story. The forerunner, the one who would pave the way for Jesus. Then, the coming of Jesus himself and his actual arrival. The appearance of angels in Luke gives an unmistakable stamp that God is here and he has done wondrous things that His power is unrivaled, and that He wants your attention. What has happened here is worthy of angelic testimony. And here's what the two figures say to the women. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he, but, but has risen. By their rebuke, they are helping interpret the scene. The women are looking for a dead man who is no longer here, but whose body hasn't been moved, but raised up. Why are you looking for him here? He's not here. And he's not just gone, he is risen. As we'll see in a moment, this wasn't quite enough for the women to start singing and dancing, but can we take a moment together and marvel at exactly what the angels said? He's not here. Jesus, whom Joseph took down off of the cross and who you ladies saw be placed in this tomb, is not here. The one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter and who died and gave up his spirit, God has raised from the dead. 
Your efforts are wasted looking for him here among the dead. He is not dead anymore. The resurrection is an exciting event because it is a crescendo type moment. But why is it significant? Why does it matter for you in this moment of your life? It's significant because if you are a Christian, you have entrusted yourself to a Savior who will never die again, who has power over death, and who promises us that one day death shall be no more, and who has the ability to raise you up from the dead to imperishable life one day, really and truly. The resurrection has everything to do with everything we think about death and life ahead. If you fear what's to come, if you wonder about what's to come, the resurrection is one of the things of the gospel that no one else in the world has. We have a picture, and in fact, the reality that Jesus is stronger than what we feel like is the strongest force in all the universe, which is death. Jesus is the king that Dan spoke about last week, the one who has now been placed on a throne over all of creation. It's so important for us to listen to these angels. They don't end up at the tomb by some chance appearing. They are messengers of God. Remember that. They are messengers of God carrying out His design and plan and His wishes, His message. And they're being inserted into this moment in Luke to proclaim to anyone who reads this account, He is risen. Even when you read Luke 24 again in four years or a decade from now, they are still proclaiming to you, He is risen. And it's a testimony verified by God Himself. If you can just picture God saying, I I want in on proving this to you. So I'm going to send my messengers to make it as convincing as possible. But do you find yourself writing off the appearance of angels as colorful additions to a fairy tale story? Are they just here to help make a scene? The fact that God sent these messengers is proof proof positive that He wants these women and us to be sure that what Jesus said would happen has really happened. And that makes a difference for those who are in Christ. Our new life is, or maybe for you it can be if it hasn't yet been, marked by a hope for indestructible life. Life no longer singed or stung by death. Knowing you'll be raised from the dead is not an invitation to be reckless, but it does help us know that our hope does not have to be so tethered to the next election or our cash flow or even in our well-being or job security or financial cushion. We are in the world, but we are not of it. We are citizens of heaven. We're longing for that better country. So often my eyes are stuck to the ground. No wonder I feel overwhelmed. And that's where the angel's invitation in the next verses, I think, is very fitting for us today. So point number one, listen to these angels. They're messengers of God himself. Point number two, remember Jesus' words. You can imagine what it might have been like for these ladies. I just encourage you, as, even as we're finishing up this end of Luke, these are real people, and you can, you can put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what it would have been like for them. It's early in the morning, and their hearts drop 
farther than it's already, they've already been dropped from not finding Jesus in his tomb. And in the midst of their confusion, they are scared to death by the blinding light of the glory of two angels appearing to them. And there's one thing that the spokesman angel says to them that brings them to their senses. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. We are here in Luke 24 and Jesus foretold his death as early as chapter 9 after Peter proclaimed that he was the Christ. He had planned for this since then. And if you think about it, God in his infinite wisdom had planned for the death, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus even before the dawn of time. He made you a very important promise. Remember his words. And what does it say next? And they remembered. It sounds so simple, but it's a beautiful turn in this passage. And that it's not just memory recall. Oh yeah, I, I, I remember when he I remember where we were when he said it. This is a moment of belief for these women. Why? Because immediately they get on their horse, as some would say, and made straight for the 11 disciples. In that moment, they remembered that Jesus said this would happen. But not only did they remember, they believed it was true. They believed that what he said was trustworthy and it was real. This might seem like a simple question, but did you know that God does not need to give us promises. He could have given us this Bible as a promiseless book. Think about that. What would it mean to strip His good and precious promises out of here? Why in the world does He make statements in His Word that He would then have to act on to prove that He's not a liar? It would be far easier to keep us in the dark just to allow for some wiggle room. I saw this phrase this week, and I don't think I've ever heard it, but you might have heard it before. Promises are like pie crusts. They're made to be broken, or they're easily broken. Pie crusts are so fragile, and they just crumble, which happens so often when we make promises. But are all promises that way? Are even God's promises made to be broken? Not at all. He makes promises for a reason. And that reason is to assure us that we can rely on Him. He makes promises because He cannot break them. And He is constantly proving that to us. It is for our sake that He is a promising God. That He keeps obligating himself to do certain things so that we know that he's trustworthy and reliable, that he comes through on each of those promises. I was reflecting with someone just this week on how much it means to me that God has made this promise in Joshua 1.5. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. That's what he says to his people before they go into the land of Canaan. And through Christ's That's a promise that we can claim that God is not a leaving or forsaking God. He said that because he meant it. 
And he promised it to prove to us that he is not like us, breaking promises left and right. And if you've been on the receiving end of lots of broken promises, I suspect that seeing God as one who keeps his promises will be a challenge. And that's okay. But give yourself a chance at knowing him as a trustworthy God because Jesus fulfilled his promise to rise again. Let this promise fulfilled start to build and begin your trust that, okay, God does do what he says he's going to do as proven in Jesus. Jesus told these women, along with the disciples, that he would rise from the dead and here he is mightily keeping his word. But who can blame the women for losing the promise in the process? Of all the things that Jesus said and did, they were hung up on the fact that first he was dead and now he's not in his tomb. And it took the angels bringing them back to his promise for God to light up their eyes in faith. That begs the question, if you find yourself in a place of spiritual forgetfulness today and God seems far from reliable, I'd encourage you this morning to go on a promise hunt. As you come across promises in Scripture, ask yourself whether they've already been fulfilled or if God is trustworthy to fulfill them in the future. Has He been faithful? Or you could just study the word faithfulness. It's one of the chief ways God describes Himself in Scripture because He is committed and loyal to keeping those promises. God has chosen to make you promises out of His sheer love and kindness. He has made you promises as handholds, like on a rock wall that we cling to and find another handhold, maybe one that we're just barely holding on to as we make our way through this life. So I invite you this morning to remember Jesus' words, church. Words like this, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That can serve you when you realize that the road ahead in a particular situation will wind up being harder than you thought. I am with you until the end. How about this? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This week, I felt spiritually dried up and found this promise to be really meaningful. Jesus is bread for my soul that doesn't leave me hungry. Are you in a place where you feel less passionate about being a follower of Jesus than you have at other times in your life? Come to the bread of life and he promises to satisfy. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is a magnificent promise. Are you thinking more about the end of your life? whether you're nearing it or whether you feel preoccupied with thinking about death and it scares you. Jesus promises, a very simple promise, he will raise you from the dead. He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Do you feel frustrated with your spiritual progress? Do you know that this promise tells you that there is no, I should be further along? Instead, you are right in step in becoming like Jesus, right where he wants you to be. And you can also have confidence that he for sure is going to complete that work. Here's a grand promise. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
nor things in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you wondered if God loves you? Did you know that he made sure that nothing on this planet or in the spiritual realm is strong enough to make him not love you, not even yourself? And how about this one? Revelation 22, it comes up three times. Surely I am coming soon. This promise really starts to make life feel meaningful to me. He's coming. Let's keep our lamp burning. Why don't I rejoice a little knowing it won't always be this way? Why don't I start to yearn for that person who isn't ready? Every time we hear these promises, it's a fresh call for us to take Jesus at his word and to believe that what he said is trustworthy and real. Trustworthy and real. Do you need proof that his word is trustworthy and real? Look at Luke 9.22 where Jesus predicts his death. And then look here in Luke 24, where he rises from the dead. Jesus said he would rise on the third day, and here we're with these women staring at a tomb where once a dead man was laid. And in case we think he was just hauled off somewhere, God personally sent his messengers to say, He is risen. Remember what he told you. So listen to these angels. Remember Jesus' words. And also believe these women. The disciple named Thomas gets a bad rap. Doubting Thomas, he's called. But was he the only one who doubted that Jesus was really alive? Look at verse 10 with me. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, who is likely not Jesus' mother, but Mary, the wife of Clopas, along with the other woman, head straight from their encounter with these angels to tell the other disciples. As I read this, I start to get excited because the, the anticipation of the hope being restored to the disciples that they had lost is building. And all of a sudden, the air is sucked out and we're left deflated because they didn't believe what the women told them. Sadly, the testimony of a woman meant little in that time and place. And in a dark moment, these men distrusted the words of their sisters some of whom had been with them for several years. They looked at them and at their testimony and genuinely thought they were crazy. That they were telling some dream or fairy tale. Would you or I have believed them? That their dead Jesus was now alive, walking around somewhere. Now Peter was unsure He was unsure enough to go and see for himself, but after he went to the tomb, he walked back marveling, meaning he was perplexed, but didn't necessarily believe. We have no necessary indication from Luke 24 that Peter believed in that moment. He was perplexed. 
Maybe he was really hoping to find Jesus there, whom he had betrayed a few days earlier. But he didn't. Jesus wasn't there. The disciples' only hope and our only hope in moments of unbelief is that we have a God who is patient. I think this moment is in Luke for two reasons. To show you that even the apostles themselves who heard Jesus tell them at least three times that he would die and rise from the dead did not believe it when it actually happened. They weren't somehow stronger than you and I. And two, there's not a person on this earth that can convince you or believe for you that Jesus has truly raised from the dead. I could tell you a thousand times, just like I have this morning, that Jesus is no longer dead. But you yourself must believe it. What does Romans 10.9 say? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You cannot be saved without trusting that Jesus didn't stay dead. That the, power, that the God of the universe was not conquered by death, nor was he stripped of his power. Instead, here's what 2 Timothy 1, 8-10 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, Paul, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the call for us as Christians. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Confidently and with faith say, He has abolished death. I was just reminded this morning of 1 Corinthians 15, which says that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And it's not this power struggle in the end. It is God decisively doing away with that thing that seems so resolute, that seems like it will never go away. He is in His rising, the one who abolishes death. Don't be ashamed to hold fast to what he said in, in his word. Don't be ashamed to believe that God through Jesus has done that, abolished death. And he literally uncovered the possibility of living forever through his good news. Don't be mistaken. People you know and love think that that message is certifiably insane. The fact that all that we hope for rests on this moment of Jesus coming back to life is so foolish to people. But if you are Christ, I pray that this morning that the Spirit might bring some level of, yes, it's crazy, but not because it's not real. It's crazy because God is crazy powerful and crazy loving so as to do away with the threat and punishment of death through His Son, Jesus. And you know what? I believe that. Because they did not believe the testimony of these women, the disciples had no assurance that Jesus would keep his word to them. Like we said before, the reason why God makes us promises is to assure us. How much relief could they have had if they believed that Jesus really had and would keep his word? Is that not true for us? 
How often do we feel like we're lost in life simply because we feel like there's nothing to hold on to? No assurance about what's going to come next. How much relief we could have if we believe that Jesus really has and will keep his word to us. The resurrection is all about a miracle, but underneath that is perhaps one of the clearest examples of a promise that Jesus made to his people that he was swift to fulfill. If he had not kept his word, we would be hopeless. That's at least what Paul says in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we of all people are most to be pitied. What does he say next? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised. And tell me, friends, what is the most immediate difference for us that Jesus is no longer dead but alive? The most immediate difference it makes is that I can trust him. Why? Because he's powerful. Because he will be untouched by death. Yes, those are true. But mainly because he promised that he would rise from the dead And he has since promised that those who believe in him will also rise from the dead. And he is a God who only keeps his word. This really puts our fear about the future into perspective. Our fear about safety. Our fear about the unknown. About all that we wonder about in the future starts to uncover the fact that we often functionally do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We go on our lives like nothing major has happened, as if the resurrection were just an idle tale. How often does the evil one try to cast doubt on the reality that Christ was truly raised and lives today? Did God really say that Jesus was raised, that you will be raised, that death won't have the final say. It seems so final, doesn't it? It seems so controlling. But friends, we must press into and fight the fight of faith and ask the Holy Spirit, help me believe the angels, to remember your words, to believe the testimony of these women, that you have been raised, that the tomb has been opened, that you have all my hope, and that you are the king over death. I pray this morning that in some way the Lord would raise our hope knowing that nothing can kill it because Jesus is alive. He is ruling and he is reigning. He will return for us. He will raise us up from the dead. He will not leave us or forsake us. He will satisfy us. Nothing can separate us from his love. And the only way that he can assure those promises is because he lives to fulfill them. Nothing will prevent him from coming through on his word. That's what the resurrection is about. Yes, it is about the miracle of Christ being dead and coming alive, but it was the clearest proof that God will fulfill what he said he's going to do. And we walk away with that assurance. But just two questions that I want to leave with you to think on, to talk with your spouse or your family or your friends about. What do you feel like might be holding you back from relying on the truth of Jesus' resurrection? Not just an agreement that it happened or not, 
but the reality that one day, in fact, a Sunday morning, Jesus, who was dead, raised to life and walked out of his tomb. What is, what's holding you back from putting your full weight on that? And then the second question is similar to it, but why, what, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make to you? I had a hard time just searching for something specific here, but I think it's worth trying to find something specific. What difference does the resurrection specifically of Jesus Christ make to me? That, that will get at, maybe get us wondering, why does it matter? I asked that question earlier. What's the significance? So consider those two questions for yourself or for others. 